welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Environmental justice, a movement dating back to the civil rights era, is defined by the EPA as the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income with respect to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. The movement has gained new momentum in recent years. With the recent transition to the Biden-Harris administration, we have already started to see unprecedented attention to environmental justice, or EJ, by the federal government with early executive actions. Even before the Biden-Harris campaign brought EJ back to the federal spotlight, however, states were starting to implement EJ-focused legislation, a trend that has continued into 2021. In today's episode of the ELI Beverage and Diamond Environmental Justice Ground Truth podcast series, Roy Prather, a shareholder at Beverage and Diamond who advises clients on corporate social responsibility and environmental justice, will first provide an overview of key developments in the world of EJ that have occurred over the last few months of 2021. He will then speak with Shonda Nuamu, Senior Vice President, General Counsel, and Secretary at Ameren Corporation, and Roger Martella, Chief Sustainability Officer at General Electric, in two separate interviews, in which they will discuss each corporation's approach to EJ, current and future EJ trends in the regulated community, and each former government official's unique perspective on the future of EJ. Well, thank you, Roy, so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to this next episode of the Ground Truth series. Thanks, Heather. And I'm very happy to be here with Roger and Shonda today. Um, but before I dive into an overview of important recent EJ developments, um, let me give a brief bit of background on our distinguished guests. Roger Martella is General Counsel for General Electric's Environment, Health, and Safety Operations Worldwide. General Electric is an American multinational company that works in the power, renewable energy, aviation, and healthcare sectors. Roger supervises a team of approximately 50 lawyers and EHS professionals in protecting GE's 300,000 employees, their neighbors around the world, and promoting compliance with domestic and international environmental safety, sustainability, and climate change requirements. Prior to working with GE, Roger has worked in private practice. He served as general counsel for the US Environmental Protection Agency and as principal counsel for complex litigation Department's Natural Resources section. Shonda Nuamu is the Senior Vice President, General Counsel, and Secretary at Ameren Corporation. She is the primary legal advisor to Ameren's Board of Directors and Senior Management, and she leads the General Counsel function, which includes the company's legal, corporate governance, federal regulatory, and legislative affairs, as well as enterprise ethics and compliance departments. She also serves on Ameren's executive leadership team, as a contributor to overall strategic direction of the company. Prior to joining Ameren, Shonda practiced law at a California investor-owned electric and gas utility and worked in private practice. So with our distinguished guests introduced, uh, I'll first just take a few minutes here to talk through some key developments uh, in environmental justice throughout 2021, um, where we're seeing some unprecedented momentum in the federal, state, and corporate arenas. Uh, at the federal level, in short, we're, we're seeing a level of focus on environmental justice that we have not seen in any prior administration, nor have we seen the federal government adopt such an expansive conception of environmental justice 
and recognizing the many ways environmental injustices can play out. Uh, the Biden administration, as promised in its campaign platform, is continuing to emphasize EJ as a top priority across all sectors of government, um, indicative of its whole of government approach and has tasked agencies aside from EPA with EJ related responsibilities through a series of executive orders. We're seeing this play out through agencies revisiting their past approaches to EJ, and we've also seen this in the now pending uh, infrastructure legislation, which includes a number of provisions that would benefit EJ communities. At the same time, the administration through EPA and other agencies is devoting attention to the enforcement of environmental violations in EJ communities. In the summer, EPA issued several memos out, outlining specific steps the agency itself is taking to resolve non-compliance in overburdened communities, including things such as criminal enforcement or using cleanup enforcement actions to promote environmental justice. This oh, effort yeah. is bearing itself out in industries all over the country, um, from oil refineries in the Caribbean to scrap metal facilities in Chicago. In early August, Senator Cory Booker reintroduced comprehensive legislation on EJ, um, the Environmental Justice Act of 2021. This legislation would codify federal agencies' existing EJ obligations, which currently stem largely from previous executive orders, and would codify reforms to Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, among other things. Indeed, com companion legislation has also been introduced in the House as well. Now, at the state level, um, we're seeing many states continuing to pass and introduce EJ-focused legislation. In July of this year, Maine uh, passed a new bill by both houses of its legislature that would require the state utility regulators to consider the state's long-term climate goals in their decision-making, as well as require the state to, quote, define environmental justice populations and also frontline communities. However, Lawmakers did drop provisions from the bill that would have required the utility regulators to include equity and environmental justice in decision-making as they deemed equity as something that was harder to quantify. Now, this bill would help the state reach 2050 emissions reductions goals set in 2019. Uh, we'll be continuing to follow that as it develops. In other states like Oregon in June of this year, um, established an environmental justice framework of principles where Oregon recently adopted legislation that requires utilities to involve communities in clean energy planning and to consider EJ concerns in all of their operations. Sticking with the Pacific Northwest in May, Washington um, State's Healthy Environment for All Act injected environmental justice considerations into state administrative agency actions, which will have impacts on a range of agency activities and initiatives, including the grant process, rulemakings, project approvals, and enforcement cases. A number of other states have bills modeled after New Jersey's groundbreaking EJ legislation that was enacted last year and it's currently pending in states like Georgia, California, and Texas. Now, in the corporate arena, investors are increasingly demanding transparency and performance on equity and EJ alongside climate goals, with the possibility of activism, activism looming. Uh, for instance, several environmental groups earlier this year filed a false advertising complaint with the FTC against Chevron, alleging that it had overstated its investment in renewable energy and its efforts to curb greenhouse gas emissions. Um, in a related push, um, dissident environmental activist candidates have managed to force their way onto the board of directors of ExxonMobil, and we 
may expect to see similar efforts uh, for other public companies. And uh, additionally, the SEC is pursuing potential expansion of its environmental, social, and government's reporting requirements to include specifically uh, EJ itself. So as you can see, there's a great deal of activity in the, at the federal, state, and in the private corporate sector uh, with respect to EJ. And so I'm sure you're all eager to hear uh, more perspectives about that from our two guests that can provide some insight into how their organizations are engaging with EJ and the perspectives that, that they can bring as well. Uh, let's turn to them now. First, we'll be speaking with Roger Martella. Roger, thanks so much for being here today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's great to talk to you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much. Uh, so before we kind of dive into you know, what you're doing now and what's going on, I have a question about um, some of your prior work, uh, particularly when you served as the uh, general counsel for EPA under President George W. Bush. Um, during that time, what was the agency's approach to EJ? You know, thinking back on that time, um, I, I recall there was a very strong focus on vulnerable, vulnerable populations and disadvantaged populations. Um, environmental protection, you know, when I was working at EPA, had evolved to tackle some of the really big issues when it came to pollution, uh, both air pollution, water pollution, cleaning up sites, and things like that. And I, I do remember being in meetings where we were focusing most of our attention or, or a lot of our attention on the impacts, not only to the general population, but specifically the kind of disadvantaged populations, vulnerable populations, the elderly, children, nursing mothers, people of, of different racial uh, makeups, um, education levels, things like that. And, and I think you know, that inherently was a strong connection to environmental justice. There was strong consideration of this but I wouldn't say it's probably, to be fair, the driving focus it was today. I don't know that I recall spending a lot of time talking about the words environmental justice, even though these themes were, were coming up. I think it'd be unfair to say I spoke about environmental justice a lot, or we had a lot of meetings on environmental justice, but I do think we talked a lot about, about the, the same kind of core goals of how do we think about and prioritize the needs of vulnerable populations, disadvantaged populations, and, and so on. One of the strongest connections I had to it was when I went through my Senate confirmation hearing to be general counsel, there was a um, very impressive senator at the time. His name was Senator Obama, and he asked me um, some, some very strong questions about his concern he had with the way EPA was addressing lead paint. And lead paint is a classic environmental justice issue, disproportionately impacts children, inner city areas, certain, certain races, certain populations. And he was very skeptical, very concerned about EPA's approach. And I agreed with him. I think he was surprised maybe at the time I remember the, the dialogue where I agreed with him that it warranted greater concern. And if I had been confirmed, I would prioritize the focus on lead paint. And I, and I did. I followed through and kept that sincere. I appreciate the fact that Senator Obama supported my, my nomination. I don't think we talked about it, even Senator Obama and I, as, 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 a, as an environmental justice issue. I think we spoke about it as, as an issue that has impacted vulnerable people. So clearly it was part of our consideration, but very different, I think, than the way we talk about it today. Thank you, that's really interesting. And thinking about um, kind of how you described it, where there were certain issues that were talked about, but not necessarily the words environmental justice, there's been kind of an evolution over time to where that term environmental justice and 
you know, all the implications of that is, is much more focused now. From your perspective, what has been kind of the evolution from your time uh, working with government to today when environmental justice as, as a phrase, as a term, as an understanding of, of an area um, has uh, evolved uh, since that time? You know, I think it may be being less of an evolution and more of a leapfrogging. I think we've seen recently with, with the Biden administration. I, I don't want to take away, by the way, all the very strong work that's been done all over the country, all over the world by many people out, you know, inside the federal government, outside the federal government who, have you know, always emphasize these issues at all kinds of levels. But I think from the federal government's perspective, there's been a, a real leapfrogging to elevate the focus on environmental justice, probably in three ways in my mind. I, I think first and the most obvious, you know, something that's changed recently is it's, it's now really front and center in decision makers. Um, I think it was a factor before. It certainly was a factor when I was there, as I, as I discussed. But, but now it's a top line issue. It, it, is, it is front and center in the decisions from what I understand and, and hard to imagine, you know, a decision, at least at EPA, that, that doesn't have environmental justice on the top of the agenda today as they're going through decision making from what, I, from what I've been hearing about. Um, the second thing is beyond EPA. This environmental justice people tend to associate with EPA. Um, clearly, the, the Biden administration's looked to have that go far beyond EKB and all of government approach, which I do think is a relatively newer concept. I'm sure there's many discussions in the federal government, parts of the federal government where environmental justice has come up in various agencies and so on. But the notion that it is now an element of basically all government decision-making to some extent, I do think is, is a change and a new concept in this whole of government approach. Um, and then I think the third thing that, that's maybe evolved or leapfrogged or so on is the thinking that environmental justice is more than just about protecting people, which is job number one. You want to protect people from disproportionate harms, but you also want to think about how do you kind of remedy or compensate for these legacy issues? You know, one simple way to think about this is the core of environmental justice is the people who are most impacted or harmed by these issues are the one who did the least to cause them. And so we see, I think we're seeing a focus now on how do you make the solutions benefit populations that didn't cause these issues, but have been the most harmed from them. And we're starting to see the beginning of policy thinking around that, making sure that you're not only addressing the impacts, but making sure there's some benefits to address those, those legacy issues. We're in early days on this, but I, I think we know that this, this issue is high on the table and high in the, the thinking on consideration. Uh, that's really insightful. And speaking of, of leapfrogging, I'm going to jump you now from your, your career at EPA to, to your role now as the Chief Sustainability Officer at, at GE. Um, and it, can you tell us a bit about um, what GE is doing on environmental justice? Sure, sure. And, you know, we, we think of environmental justice at GE, I think, in three ways. And we come at this with a global lens, too. Um, you know, we have a strong presence in the U.S., but we're also in 170 countries. And, and so we see kind of this theme I was talking about before, vulnerable, disproportionately impacted populations um, and addressing issues that, you know, they weren't the source of, 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 of the cause. We see that on a global scale. So we, we, think of, we think of, I think, three kind of approaches to environmental justice with that lens. The first is we want to protect all of our people and all of our communities we come in contact with with the same level of protection, regardless of where we operate. When you get outside the United States, when you get outside the European Union, 
you, you get into places in the world where the environmental regulatory regimes are not always as strong. They're not always as strict. The standards are frequently unclear, if not even undefined. And so goal number one is making sure that we're bringing in the expectations that when we're operating and we could have some impacts to our people, to our communities, that we're holding everyone to the same high standards we do in the United States and the European Union. We're not making distinctions that just because a regulatory regime is less stringent in one part of the world, those people don't deserve the same level of stringency of the same protection. So we enforce that rigorously and uniformly everywhere. The second is to the theme of how you look for opportunities to address these issues, whether that's for siting renewable energy facilities. One of the areas we're focused on is creating the pipeline of a more diverse um, uh, engineers. Uh, we have a program called the Next Engineers Program, which is kind of focused on the fact that um, sometimes the scientific technical engineering fields haven't as attracted as diverse a pipeline of students, of, of professionals, as some other areas. And so we have made a $100 million commitment uh, to focus on certain cities all around the world to inspire and encourage the next generation of engineers um, from very diverse backgrounds, from communities that have been underrepresented in the technical engineering space. And the third thing we do, which I think is extremely unique to GE and something we're very proud of, is, is an initiative focused on how we return legacy properties to the benefits of communities. And frequently, these are referred to as brownfield, contaminated properties that um, you want to you clean up and then return to the benefit of communities. Traditionally, the way people have looked at brownfields is they look at the, the highest commercial viability and they prioritize those with the highest return and they focus on those for remediation efforts and for returning them to some use, whether those be educational uses, commercial uses, residential uses, parks, things like that. We have decided to flip that analysis and look at EPA environmental justice criteria to, to rank properties based on not necessarily the commercial viability, but how does EPA look at them in terms of how they intersect with environmental justice impact. Sometimes there's a correlation there that if you have a brownfield property in an environmental justice community, it may not rank high on commercial viability, but it's still very important to those communities. So we flipped that analysis. And we now have an understanding, not just from a commercial viability lens or commercial return on investment, but from an EJ lens, how do we rank those properties? So we're making specific investments in the properties that rank high on the EJ scale and looking to clean those up. And not only clean them up, because the next question becomes, what do you do once you clean them up? Do you knock it down? Do you leave it there? You know, there might not be the same opportunities. We're looking to bring additional value to these properties so we can return them for the benefit of the community. Maybe that becomes a community center, a park, working at vocational schools, maybe trained for the clean energy economy, health clinics, things like that, to create some precedent that we should be thinking about how we make these decisions with EJ as a consideration um, and putting uh, appropriate resources towards that at the same time. Wow, it sounds like there, there's been a, a lot of thought given to you know, what you can do as a company to actually address um, the EJ concerns you, you described. And, you know, I think that uh, we're, as we're seeing all of this activity from both the regulated community and the government focusing on, on EJ, uh, there's a lot of value in, in making those efforts. I, I'm curious because I know in, you know, your role as a chief sustainability officer, um, you know, you also lead the company's efforts um, in the environment, social, and governance um, arena, or ESG, as it's referred to now. 
Um, how does GE's efforts as it relates to EJ um, impact or relate to kind of those ESG initiatives that the company has? I think they intersect in a lot of way. I mean, when I think of ESG, if we think of, you know, you can define it different ways. Uh, for this conversation, I'll think of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. They have identified, you know, these are very global focused goals. It's like we're a globally focused com company on opportunities to promote equity. I think ultimately sustainability, ultimately comes the, the, the core theme of sustainability is equity, making sure everybody has the same opportunities for a healthy, strong environment, healthy living, job opportunities, economic opportunities, and the SDG goals reflect that. So at GE, you know, we're proud to align to nine of the SDG goals, and, and the one theme that runs through all of them is equity, um, whether it's protecting people from climate change, from making sure they have adequate to strong health care, um, you know, for the billion people who are underserved, uh, economic opportunities that are associated with access to energy, a strong and clean environment, safety in their workplaces. Uh, we, we, we align ourselves to, to at least nine of these sustainable development goals, which I think reflect ESG at its core, which reflect the concept of sustainability, reflect the concepts of equity. We're, gonna, we're looking you know, at aligning to even more in the upcoming years. We wanna take it very seriously. We're not gonna stretch and take credit for something that we don't think we've fully earned yet, but we're deliberately looking at where are some other of these sustainable development goals that we think we should be targeting for, for closer alignment. Let's address some of those and over time increase that. So that's one of the ways we're building a, a strong ESG program that has kind of themes of environmental justice at its core. Wow, that's great. So along those same lines, I guess taking a, a more high level or broader view, since you've been you know, in the role of kind of working with the regulators and the government, and now also kind of in private industry um, in the sustainability role. Um, what role do you think generally the regulated community should play in advancing EJ, given all of the activity that we see now and all of the um, focus on um, giving more attention to those issues? You know, I think of two things. I think one is is ensuring that these considerations are always at the table in decision-making, that, that just like you balance many other factors and decisions, that environmental justice is an important consideration as companies are making decisions on you know, a variety of issues that intersect with this space. And I think the second is being open to partnership and collaboration. I think part of ESG, part of sustainability, is increasingly focused on the, the corporate social responsibility, the roles, the opportunities for companies to do public good, and to the extent companies are going to engage in activities that seek to do public good, I think we saw that with COVID-19 and the response of companies. We're seeing that a lot with climate change. I, I would encourage, you know, as, as we tend to do, to, to find partnerships, to find uh, collaboration, to work with these communities, to work with folks who have the perspective of how to address the needs of populations that have been disproportionately impacted by legacy issues to make sure you know, you're doing no harm, you're ensuring equity, you're ensuring equal uh, protection, but also prioritizing opportunities to improve conditions through like the types of investments we're talking about with our Brownfields program. So one last thing before uh, I let you go, um, if people want to learn more about the initiatives and the activities that GE is doing uh, with respect to EJ or ESG, uh, where can they go to find out that information? 
we published our sustainability report back in July. Um, we, we spoke about our environmental justice initiatives when it came specifically to our brownfields program so i encourage people just to find that on our on our website and i think there'll be more details forthcoming in you know hopefully not the distant future regarding some of these themes including some more specifics about where we're looking with our brownfields program and how we're continuing to align to sustainable development goals thanks so much robert that's a really interesting perspective and i appreciate kind of all of your insightful um discussion of the things that you've been doing and the things that GE's doing uh, to address EJ. It's been uh, great speaking with you and very, thanks again for speaking with us. Great, Roy. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And now I would like to turn to our second guest, uh, Shonda. First, welcome Shonda and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here, Roy. So to, to get started, uh, please just tell us a little bit about your work at Ameren. Um, you know, how does EJ come into play in your current role? Sure. Well, uh, my role is Senior Vice President, General Counsel, and Corporate Secretary. And in that role, it encompasses three different departments here at Ameren. It's the Legal Department, the Compliance Department, and the Federal Legislative and Regulatory Affairs Department. And Environmental Justice, or EJ, is really a component in each of those areas. If you think about EJ broadly as an industry, it encompasses compliance with regulations and laws that are in place to protect the public and the communities and, and customers that we serve from an environmental benefits versus burden standpoint, and particularly the impact that our operations has on communities. And so my teams work collectively. Um, EJ really plays an important role given that we deal with environmental laws and environmental compliance obligations and related policy issues. And really, in fact, uh, even beyond my role, Ameren Corporation has as its vision leading the way to a sustainable energy future. And that word sustainable was very intentional, uh, and it includes being thoughtful about how we deliver safe, reliable, and affordable electric and gas to our customers in a way that complies with laws and even further takes into consideration the long-term viability of natural resources. And you know, even beyond our vision statement, our core values, which guide our behaviors also are reflective of our, of our commitment to environmental justice. And some of those core values include diversity, equity, and inclusion, respect, and stewardship. You've touched on a, a, several different things um, that I think are highly relevant to EJ. And I, I wanna hone in a little bit. Um, when you mentioned you know, the delivery of, of energy and sustainability aspect of you know, your core uh, vision for the company. Uh, in the utility sector where you operate, uh, are there any trends that you're seeing with respect to EJ as you look to develop and um, implement your, your goals? Yes, absolutely. We are definitely seeing trends. And so maybe I'll just touch on a few. Um, the first trend I'd see is that we are seeing more, I'd say, of a direct linking of, of the industry and particularly our sector um, to impacts on underserved communities. and. An interest in environmental justice has been around in the utility sector for decades, so that's not necessarily new. Strictly looking at environmental impacts has been a part of our landscape from a litigation and regulatory standpoint for, for quite a while. For example, uh, there's a long history of EPA-managed Superfund sites, 70% of which are within one mile of uh, underserved communities. Another example um, is the Flint, Michigan water crisis, right, where you have lead contamination in the city's water supply 60% of which um, the community is African-American. 
And so over time, you're seeing more connections being made to the impacts and long-term implications on health outcomes, economic opportunities, and the ability to participate in the economy equitably based on basic access to services. Uh, and these correlations in terms of disparate impact on underserved and minority communities has really been amplified by COVID-19 and the pandemic. Um, for example, we've seen play out um, in the media the more problematic health outcomes for communities of color, uh, the association with pre-existing conditions, as well as the economic disparities that have become even more apparent during the pandemic. So, so that, that was the first trend, really the linking, I'd say, of industry to impacts on underserved communities. The second trend I'd say that we are seeing is that corporations are being looked at to play a much larger role in addressing social issues, including environmental justice, beyond you know, charity and philanthropy and volunteerism. And you know, looking at a solution for social issues and looking to corporations for those solutions, including environmental justice, it's no longer solely uh, expected to be within the purview of the government and social service agencies to solve some of those social issues. And so large institutional investors are requiring demonstration of social responsibility beyond financial performance with an increased emphasis on DE&I, both internally and for the betterment of the community. Investors like BlackRock are sending powerful messages about the importance of being a good corporate citizen and the recognition that leading on environmental and social issues is healthy and really a necessity for long-term financial success of corporations and, and in particular our industry. So to this point, investors and other key stakeholders, including customers, are increasingly evaluating companies through the lens of ESG. And as you well know, that's environmental, social, and governance. And sort of taken together, it's, it's really a look at your overall sustainability profile. So the E, or environmental component, has been a focus in our industry in particular for some time and continues to be a significant focus. Obviously, climate change is a priority um, and there's a push to exit fossil fuels in favor of renewables and other zero or low carbon generation resources. Um, as a whole, I'd say our industry has been quite forward leaning and has collectively reduced carbon emissions 40% from 2005 levels as of the end of 2020. Uh, and I'm really pleased to say that Ameren has committed to net zero carbon emissions by 2050 and we are working as fast as we can to do so, balancing, very importantly, grid reliability and customer affordability, because we can't lose sight of the fact that there's a very delicate balance given that we are part of the critical infrastructure and we really have to get it right. And most of our industry peers also have set carbon reduction goals. But you know, on the trend beyond the E, the environmental piece, a trend is that more recently we are seeing a growing focus on the S, social impact, and the G, governance and how those pillars intersect with the E. And as I think about it, EJ really sits squarely at the intersection um, of E, S, and G. And it's the trend that the focus on the S and the social issues is really driving corporations to stand up to make more of a lasting, impactful role in racial equity type of issues. Uh, you've seen some corporations restate their values, commitment to increasing diversity in the workforce, committing to high engagement with diverse suppliers, committing to partnerships with historically black colleges and universities. So all of these areas of focus that had not historically been consistently top of mind for corporations beyond charitable giving have uh, become more meaningful. 
And then another trend is the increased focus on EJ coming from the White House, right, with the, the President President Biden and Vice President Harris administration. One, as you well know, one of the first executive orders from President Biden was on environmental justice, signaling its importance in this administration in addressing climate change and equity issues. Established the White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council and created the Justice 40 initiative with the goal of delivering 40% of the overall benefits from federal investments in climate and clean energy to disadvantaged communities. So we are clearly saying this current administration prioritize issues of environmental justice. And we know that that will drive legislative policies and regulatory policies, you know, coming out of the EPA, for example. So those are just a few, I'd say, of the um, trends that we are seeing in the area of environmental justice. Thanks, Sean. And, and as you described it, I mean, it's definitely a wide ranging and a surge that we were seeing in terms of the attention on these issues, particularly as it pertains to kind of that intersection that you identified for ESG and the stakeholders who are, are paying more attention to it. Um, I think you gave a really great summary of what the industry itself um, is looking at and what they're pledging to do. And I'd love it if you could um, give a little bit more detail specifically to uh, Amarin about any initiatives or plans that you have specifically touching on uh, EJ and addressing the concerns that you've already um, very well described for us. Sure, happy to do so. So, so Amarin holistically integrates ESG into um, our business strategy, our operations, planning and execution, recognizing that environmental justice really spans across all of the ESG pillars. And this facilitates environmental justice being considered in our core business operations. Uh, and if I take a step back at Ameren, we think about sustainability in four quadrants. Environmental stewardship, including our clean energy transition and net zero commitment. Social impact, uh, looking at how we're impacting stakeholders, customers, coworkers, communities that we serve, uh, governance, that's really the accountability at both the management and board levels. And then the fourth pillar is sustainable growth, and that's how we are growing to deliver value to customers and communities. And it is the sustainability lens that really drives our strategy development and execution. So I just wanted to set that as the framework. In terms of you know, our efforts to advance environmental justice and to ensure that our transformation, the transformation of our business is equitable and beneficial to customers and particularly those in vulnerable communities. There are a number of things we're doing and I'll just I'll just provide a few specific examples of some of the things that we're doing in this area. Um, you know, first in, in terms of environmental stewardship, we, we look at our system upgrades and how we are delivering service and reliability uh, in, in our communities. And we uh, recently built a new $20 million operating center in an underserved community in here uh, in North County part of St. Louis, and it was built by a minority-led joint venture. Also built out a new substation, $40 million, moving overhead lines to underground, improving reliability in another um, area here um, called the Florissant area. And as we think about economic equity, um, Ameren has spent over $100 million uh, to income-eligible uh, energy efficiency programs over the last three, three years. So we think about the investment that we're making in some of these uh, income eligible programs and energy efficiency investments. They've allowed our customers over the last decade to save over a billion dollars 
allowing them to keep more of their disposable income. And we know that makes a real difference for people and families. If we think about workforce equity and job preparedness, we have partnered with some of our local technical high schools uh, in underserved communities to identify and prepare students for apprenticeships, develop skills for um, good paying skilled craft jobs, because we know that employment um, is extremely important in terms of looking across social equity issues. Uh, and finally, and perhaps where I should have started, is we are currently in the process of finalizing our environmental justice policy. So these are, are a few examples of how we are specifically at Ameren looking to advance environmental justice and more broadly facilitate equity across the communities we serve. That's great. And I, I think it's really important and valuable that, that you kind of highlighted something that doesn't always um, come to the forefront when discussing environmental justice and that it's, you know, it looks beyond just uh, environmental impacts, but also, as you mentioned, kind of equity and what are the benefits that overburdened uh, communities can receive from, um, you know, companies like Ameren operating in those spaces. And so it's, those are some great programs that you described. Uh, I know you said that it's, you're still finalizing it, but uh, is there any information you could share about kind of the pillars or the principles that you're looking to uh, establish with your EJ policy? Yes, I'd be happy to give you sort of an early sneak peek, but um, we began de developing Ameren's environmental justice policy almost a year ago, and the process has been deliberate to allow for evolving definitions, to allow for more certainty around um, you know, political landscape, particularly with the new administration coming in with EJ as a focus, uh, to do benchmarking within and outside of our industry, and to address stakeholder concerns adequately. And so our initial policy has evolved to take into account solicited input from key constituencies in both Missouri and Illinois. And so we actually went out and asked for uh, input from, from stakeholders and, and underserved communities to say, what would you like to see in this environmental justice policy? And we've been incorporating um, and, and, and revising the policy to take those factors into consideration. And we also um, have been getting professional advice from outside advisors who are well-versed on, on the topic to allow room for growth as new developments occur in this area. So our current draft policy consists of several key you know, points, our high-level position on our company commitment to EJ. Um, a key part of the policy is promotion of two-way communication, including informing communities in multiple languages. So we're meeting the communities where they are and ensuring that we can communicate with them and that they can give us their feedback. So we want to, as part of the policy, continue to collaborate with underserved communities. And again, sort of where I started, adhere to our core values um, and commit commit to evaluating the benefits and impacts of our operations on the community health uh, economy and the environment. And so more details to come, but we are really, really excited to formally adopt and publish our EJ policy in the near future. Thanks so much for that that sneak peek. Um, definitely looking forward to, to seeing that policy um, and uh, definitely appreciate the kind of robust process that you've taken in by looking to not only internally, but externally to inform uh, what that policy looks like. Uh, another aspect of Ameren's uh, activities that you were discussing, I'd be interested to hear more from you about what role EJ plays in Ameren's enterprise risk management program. 
Great question. So I discussed how ESG and, and environmental justice are core to our strategy development. And the same is true for our enterprise risk management efforts. So our sustainability or ESG risk are integrated into our corporate-wide enterprise risk management system. Ameren ensures that these risks are identified and their business impacts are assessed and then that appropriate mitigations are put in place. Then this is done jointly by key stakeholders across the organization, from human resources to legal to operations, diversity, equity, and inclusion. All of those stakeholders identify risk with respect to sustainability, and they're managed by a risk management group with oversight at the management level being provided by the risk management steering committee, which I serve on, and also at the board level. And we have a, a very strong and diverse board of directors, and our board from a governance perspective is actively engaged in enterprise risk management oversight. Our overall risk profile is overseen by the full board, and various board committees have been delegated oversight of specific risk, including the Audit and Risk Committee. In fact, we recently expanded the name and scope of one of the board committees to include explicitly environmental sustainability. Given the importance of sustainability and the ESG framework, on our strategy and operations. So we have a robust ERM program with strong government governance. In terms of EJ specifically with respect to, to enterprise risk management, as I said, EJ really cuts across all pillars of environmental, social, and governance, but primarily aligns with, with social, the social risk pillar. And social risks have historically, I think, been less tangible, uh, more difficult to assess than others. So we are integrating our current forms for community engagement and supplementing with those with new opportunities for engagement that constitute part of how we mitigate for environmental justice risks. The second part is ensuring that as we enter and operate and engage with new communities that we're informing and connecting with that community to minimize negative impacts and maximize benefits related to economics, opportunities, environmental stewardship. And we consistently seek to ensure that in particular, those communities that are underserved or lower income communities are not disproportionately impacted by our presence or our activities. And, and these are areas that are also being addressed through the development of our environmental justice policy, as I discussed. And also internally, we recently created the role of Vice President of Sustainability and Electrification, given the increased importance of ESG and to help connect the dots across the organization on strategy and risk across the ESG pillars, including EJ efforts. Given kind of the amount of activity at Ameren and you know with respect to some of the uh, other people or entities in the industry that, that you've alluded to previously, um, what role would you say the, the regulated community should play in advancing EJ? I have a good sense of what Ameren's looking to do. Um, is there an expectation beyond the leadership that Ameren's providing that others should be doing acting similarly, or are there different roles for different entities? Would just love to get some uh, perspective from you on that question. Certainly. Well, so, you know, we are in a highly regulated industry and we are regulated by many agencies. And so the regulatory community plays a very significant role in advancing EJ. And, and Ameren's ability to plan our system operations is greatly impacted by federal and state regulators. And so at a high level, you know, sound, consistent, and reliable regulatory policy is crucial 
to enabling us to operate in a fashion that benefits our customers, including our underserved communities. And as a company, we're able to deliver those benefits when we have constructive legislation and regulatory policy that allows us to invest so we can deliver that value to our customers. If you think about, for example, the clean energy transition and achievement of net zero carbon emissions, regulatory and legislative policy can be an accelerator to getting to net zero. Uh, for example, tax credits for clean energy, like uh, you know, solar and wind and battery storage, those tax credits flow through directly to our customers and it helps with not only reducing carbon, but also customer affordability. If you think about regulatory policy, legislative policy on research and development funding, that's really a necessity to develop technology needed to support net zero. If you think about um, technology advancements in carbon capture and in hydrogen, for example, those things uh, can be facilitated by, by both regulatory and legislative policy. And so, you know, support for investment in grid upgrades to develop the underlying infrastructure for this clean energy transmission, uh, transition. Transmission infrastructure build out is gonna be critical. And so the more we can get regulatory support for those investments, um, the, the better off we'll be with respect to accelerating our move to net zero and um, meeting our goals with respect to environmental justice. A number of other things, if you think about that regulators can influence, incentives for electric charging stations, um, electric school buses, electric fleet, all of these things, again, will help with environmental justice and are things that can be advanced by, by regulatory policy. So from my perspective, the regulatory community plays a critical role, both federal and state. And it is important that we really work together to align on policies that will help us achieve a sustainable energy future and one that has benefits equitably distributed across communities, including those that have been historically underserved. Well, this, this has been incredibly informative uh, and I really appreciate um, all the perspective and information that you've shared, Shonda. Uh, before we conclude our conversation, um, where can our listeners find more information about uh, the activities that Amarin's um, taking on with respect to EJ and other related issues? Certainly. So uh, listeners can go to amarin.com backslash sustainability, and we have a number of resources, including our sustainability report, our environmental policies, and our template on ESG. Excellent. Shonda, thanks so much for sharing your perspective and all of this information. It was great having you join us today. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.